At Tarrant, we organize webinars that we are pleased to share on our podcast channel and on our website www.arrent.com. This webinar, entitled Capital Raising, Marketing and Funds Financing in Luxembourg, Alternative Investment Funds Opportunities for the Nordics, was recorded on the 19th of November 2020 in partnership with RBC Investor and Treasury Services and Deloitte. It was presented by Francisca's Partner Investment Management at Arendt and Medona, Mathieu Taillandier Partner Bank Lending and Structured Finance Capital Markets at Arendt and Medona, Arnaud Bon, Director Strategy Regulatory and Corporate Finance at Deloitte Luxembourg, Raphael Kajenbaum, Vice President at Moelis, Frédéric Andersen, Managing Partner and Co-Founder of House of Reach AB, and Marcus Carrington Palmer, Managing Director, Fund Finance at Royal Bank of Canada. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yuga uh, Womenta, apologies for the wrong pronunciation, most probably. Um, and welcome on this webinar that um, um, RBC, Arendt and Medanar and Deloitte have been giving for a number of years in the Nordic countries. Unfortunately, this year, due to COVID situation, we won't have the pleasure to shake hands and to share coffee with you before and after. Um, but we still wanted to keep and stick to this tradition of bringing to your um, doorstep uh, the latest news from Luxembourg. The latest news in terms of uh, marketing evolution, in terms of uh, technical uh, update as well. There has been over the years a strong um, collaboration um, and partnership between Nordic countries and Luxembourg. We have seen it growing uh, over the years. While Luxembourg at the same time was growing its uh, footprint uh, substantially in the alternative investment management, management world. So we want to, uh, this morning, to share with you uh, some of those um, news. We will have a uh, one-hour session uh, starting with uh, uh, the latest trend and evolution of the Luxembourg Alternative Investment Fund structuring uh, in Luxembourg, the, what we like to call the toolbox uh, in Luxembourg. We will then follow this by a um, panel discussion uh, with um, fellow panelists that we'll have the pleasure to introduce just before the panel. And we will try and keep some time uh, to share some uh, questions or to answer to your questions at this end of this session. You do have a um, chat box and a Q&A uh, box in, uh, in WebEx. Please, if you have any questions as the discussion goes on, please don't hesitate to use this uh, Q&A uh, box. We will try to keep an eye on that. We will try to answer your questions either during the webinar or at the end of, uh, at the, end of the session. Thanks a lot for your attendance. Sorry, um, I mean, get yourself ready, get your cup of coffee, you know, of coffee your breakfast potentially, and uh, let me introduce now um, uh, Francis Cass. Francis is a uh, partner with uh, Arendt and Medanar specializing in uh, fund structuring, and Francis will um, drive us or walk us through, through uh, the uh, technical Luxembourg um, toolbox. Francis, the floor is yours. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Arnaud. Um, 
referring to the relevant slide. Yes. Okay. So yes. So the, thank you, Arno, and uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much for for joining us uh, for this uh, seminar on, on Luxembourg. Yeah. So the, I wanted to uh, to start this this seminar, this webinar, by giving you an, an update on on the latest. Um, trends, the latest uh, statistics on the Luxembourg fund industry. Uh, those who are familiar with Luxembourg uh, will probably recognize uh, most of the, uh, of the tools uh, that you are familiar with, uh, but maybe we have some um, Nordic friends on the webinar who are uh, starting to learn more about Luxembourg, and that's why I thought it would be useful to, to just give a, a very quick overview over this, uh, the Luxembourg toolbox. Yeah. Just uh, starting here, we, we see the, the global figure, uh, which, right, as, as many people will know, that Luxembourg is the uh, second largest fund domicile in the world, uh, first in, uh, in Europe. And uh, currently, well, at least as of September, the total net assets under, in, in Luxembourg fund vehicles are about uh, 4,700 billion euro. Um, where are these uh, 4,700 billion euro used? Well, here is an, an overview of this uh, Luxembourg toolbox. I will not um, go through the individual type of vehicles um, in detail, of course, to just to give you a broad overview of, um, of what is existing uh, in Luxembourg. Um, maybe uh, as a a first distinction between the different types of vehicles, you will see some are in grey, other are in blue. The vehicles in grey are the non-regulated vehicles, whereas the vehicles in blue are the regulated ones. Then, of course, when we speak about alternative funds today, so we will concentrate actually on the five in the middle. Um, so we will leave out the super fee, but the, the super fee is as such not necessarily a fund vehicle, but it, it can also be used in the context of funds. For example, if you need an SPV below the fund uh, to, to perform your investments, so it, it can still be useful. The, the securitization is well also as such not um, strictly speaking a fund, but again. It can be used in, in parallel to, uh, to a fund, alternatively to a fund. Uh, sometimes we see that um, if, if the fund is issuing equity securities, uh, while investors would need uh, to have exposure to fixed interest um, uh, securities, that then sometimes the fund shares would be securitized uh, in the form of notes, um, which can potentially be listed. Uh, so again, it's not a fund as such, but can be used in conjunction with a fund. So that is for, for the two on the left-hand side uh, that are not funds. Uh, and then the one on the right-hand side, which is the, the usage, which, again, probably many of you are, are probably familiar with, um, which is the um, uh, traditional retail fund um, structure. Um, but again, which we will, of course, even though we sometimes speak about alternative usage, um, uh, but uh, to, to accommodate structures that are more like hedge fund structures. But again, it's not the topic of today. So the topic of the day is, is really then uh, the five um, remaining entities in the middle, 
where I would say, well, ultimately, you have a choice of different vehicles, which in the end, it, it, it should always be the investor preference that counts in your choice. And I think that that is the, the key message that I want to, to convey today, that um, depending on, on your investor preferences, be it for regulation or non-regulation, be it for uh, partnership or uh, corporate type of vehicles, um, tax transparent or tax opaque. So it, it's ultimately always uh, investor preference that drives the choice. And yeah, to, just to comment briefly, if I start from the right-hand side, I will have the, 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 the Part 2 fund, so UCI Part 2, which has the advantage that it is also open to, to retail investors, uh, but actually uh, in recent times it is used less. Also, as you know, that European passports um, for alternative funds are restricted to professional investors. So it's, it's sometimes it's a vehicle that still exists, that, that you can still use if you need to have ex, uh, exposure to retail investors, but it is used less. And then the, for the second from the right, uh, which is the CICAR, which is also supervised uh, and which is um, restricted to investment in risk capital, uh, so which at the core of this you would have private equity, venture capital, or what we call private equity real estate. Uh, the advantage of that vehicle is that you don't need to have risk diversification. Um, uh, then, again, moving one step further to the left, are the SIF, um, which is then again a supervised vehicle, but which is not limited to risk capital, which can invest in any type of assets, um, and which is, however, subject to a requirement for risk diversification. Then if we leave uh, the, um, the blue area and we go one step further to the left, we have the right, so which is um, then a well, one could say a non-regulated vehicle. Often we, we prefer to speak about uh, manager-regulated vehicles because it's, it's not totally outside regulation. Uh, uh, it is regulated, but indirectly through its manager. So it is necessarily managed by, by an authorized agent, and by that uh, it must comply with, with certain requirements. Here again, uh, the rights uh, is open to, to all types of assets. And let's say, in principle, subject to risk diversification. And then uh, the last one in the row, uh, the LP uh, in the form of an uh, SLP or CLP. So that's, in fact, a, a partnership, which is uh, only subject to corporate law. Um, so that, that is not a specific uh, investment fund law. Uh, but then, yes, subject to corporate law, and that is why it will necessarily have to be set up in the form of a partnership because it will be tax transparent. Uh, otherwise, if being subject only to uh, corporate law, it, it would also be subject to corporate taxation, which, of course, you don't want to have uh, in, in the context of an, uh, of an investment fund. So that's very broadly, again, um, the, the, the big picture. And, yeah, as I said, I think that the, the choice should always be um, what are your investors looking for? Uh, do they need to have a regulated fund? Uh, are they comfortable with a partnership which is not subject to, uh, to any investment fund law? 
um, yeah, perhaps for, for the regulated structures, you will typically have the option uh, to set up compartments. So if that is of interest, you should go for a RIVE, for example, rather than an, uh, a partnership. So the various aspects, again, I, I will not have um, the uh, sufficient time to, to, to walk you through all the details, but to, just to give you a flavor of what we have in Luxembourg, uh, what are the key differences, and again, to insist on the fact that the, uh, the, the choice should always be guided by uh, by investor profits again also because today the top the topic of today is capital rising uh, marketing and so on so that should be also of interest uh, in that context um, moving one step further again when we have in mind the uh, marketing possibilities uh, and and then in, in this context mainly focusing on the three vehicles on the right-hand side. Uh, so just to see, well, how can you market those? Um, and in fact, they will, in practice, typically um, they will qualify as AIDS and then they will have appointed an authorized AFM benefiting from an EU marketing passport so that you can have access to professional investors throughout Europe. Uh, we made a little difference here between when you look at the ease of public distribution, there is a, a little difference between SICA, uh, SIF, RIVE, and SLP. That's due to the fact that only the RIVE necessarily has to uh, necessarily qualify as an ACE and necessarily has to appoint an authorized ACE. Uh, the other two um, very often uh, would also be in the same situation, however, not necessarily. So you could say, for example, if you, if you have a SIF uh, that is um, having only one investor, then one could say, well, it, it does not qualify as an ACE and it would not um, need to appoint an authorized ASM. And then, of course, you would also not, not need uh, to have a, a marketing passport if you have only one investor. And, and the same is uh, on the right-hand side for the SLP. Uh, if, for example, you would be saying, well, I will not be doing any active marketing, uh, but I want to set up a structure, uh, be it for a family office or more like a club deal type of situation where you say, well, we have um, like half a dozen of investors. They all know each other. They decide together to invest into this vehicle. So then there would be no uh, capital, um, uh, capital rising. And um, uh, and then, of course, you would also not need uh, the marketing passport. Um, here is then another slide on the evolution of that's the number of uh, investment vehicles. Um, While well, you can see, until 2015, uh, we did not yet have the race, uh, so that's why they only appear in 2000 and, uh, as from 2016. And um, well, you can see there is, as from 2016, I would say there is a little decrease in number of regulated funds. So again, the um, starting uh, downwards from the, the, the dark blue, uh, which is the CICAR, and then the little bit more light blue, the SIF, uh, dark gray part two, and then the light gray usage. So you, you can see that all of those have uh, 
slightly reduced uh, in number, whereas the SLP and the rise have uh, substantially increased. And I think that that is clearly uh, the trend uh, that we are seeing. While maybe at the beginning, when we were in, let's say, 2016, one could perhaps say that for alternative funds, it was like one-third uh, SIF, one-third RISE, one-third um, SLPs. Probably nowadays, um, the number of, uh, of SIFs, so the number of regulated funds, is tending to, to decrease, uh, and there is a stronger growth for the non-regulated SLPs uh, or RISE. Uh, so what we just saw graphically uh, also appears here in terms of numbers, uh, just to show that uh, to you as well. So the, the first table being the regulated funds, where in fact the, the number of funds, which is here the number of umbrella funds, is slightly decreasing, uh, but then still the number of sub-funds increasing, assets under management also increasing. And then I said, um, so which is positive growth for, for regulated funds, but then much stronger growth for the unregulated ones, again, the, the rise and, um, and partnership structures, where you can see um, a growth of more than 50% in all categories of both the umbrella structures, top funds, and assets under management. So, of course, there are even more than 100% growth of assets under management for, for, for non-regulated funds. So I think that, that is what I wanted to, to tell you as an introduction. Just the last word that, of course, in order to, to service all of these funds, uh, the Luxembourg uh, ecosystem, if I can call it like that, uh, is, uh, is also composed of all the different service providers that you would need uh, to service these funds, be it um, custodians, central administrators, uh, professional service firms, ASINs. So just to show you these figures as well, um, including in particular the authorized ASIMs, which also includes the possibility to appoint a third-party ASIM, which is also which has been growing quite substantially uh, in, uh, in in recent months or, or years, uh, despite the increased uh, expectations in terms of, of substance requirements, which is also very important to to Luxembourg and to the Luxembourg regulator. But so I think this shows also the, the, the very strong uh, infrastructure and, and support that we have for the Luxembourg fund industry uh, in, uh, in Luxembourg. I think that that is what I wanted to, to tell you just as an introduction. And with that, I, I pass the floor back to, to Arnaud uh, for the panel discussion. Many thanks, Francis, for this uh, technical overview. Uh, a quick one, but an efficient one. Uh, there, there, there is much more to say, but we don't want to uh, to, uh, to 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 be too um, uh, uh, to get our audience to sleepy on the technical topics. But may, many many thanks for that. Um, so you, you you've highlighted Francis a uh, the growth of the market, the tools uh, used to. Uh, uh, that enabled uh, this, uh, this growth, basically. Now we will focus on um, a, a few dimensions uh, driving this growth, but also uh, coming alongside this growth, which are marketing uh, and fundraising as well as financing. Um, to do that, uh, I have the pleasure to have this morning with me uh, or uh, on the other side of the screen, uh, my uh, panelist, uh, Raphael 
Kevin Baum, uh, Vice President at uh, Moilis, uh, an investment boutique and uh, placing agent. Uh, Mathieu Taillandier, uh, partner, uh, bank, and lend bank lending and structured finance at uh, Arendt. Uh, Frederick Anderson, managing partner and co-founder at uh, House of Rich, an advisory and uh, placing agent here. And last but not least, uh, Marcus Carrington Palmer, uh, managing director, uh, fund financing at uh, RBC. Um, thanks to uh, the four of you for joining us this morning, and uh, I will open the discussion uh, on, the, um, on, on the evolution of the Luxembourg market, and uh, most importantly in my eyes, on the evolution of the perception of the Luxembourg market. Um, Fr Frederick, um, where in your opinion does uh, Luxembourg stand uh, from a, um, I mean, on, on managers, uh, on, the, on managers, alternative managers agenda today, and uh, in particular for Nordic uh, managers. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Norman. Thank you for giving this opportunity. Uh, I should say that uh, the, the international managers, uh, we come across many of the like managers from US and Asia, they see the Nordic institutions as very sophisticated and uh, there's a lot of assets up here. Uh, so, uh, and many of the, the, the managers based from US and Asia, for example, they, they normally have done local for local distribution for years, if you have been up and running for a while. Uh, and then they try to distribute their, uh, their existing structures into Nordics, which is uh, very hard to do because it's only a few, few big players that actually can invest in a non-EU regulated structure today. Uh, even the big ones prefer to have an EU-regulated uh, structure uh, instead of uh, going directly to U.S. or Asia. Uh, so I should say it's a big demand and a big interest for, for, for Lux from, uh, from managers that like to be successful in the Nordics today. I don't know, would you like to add something, uh, Rafael? No, I, I think, Frederick, on the, on the perception side of things, totally. I mean, there's been, there's been a huge evolution. And it's reflected as well in what Francis mentioned in the in the way the vehicles have been structured to make to become more user friendly over time, and it's uh, it's now definitely reached a peak. Yeah, and I would also say that that the let's say that we talk to a U.S. manager, they normally like when we say an lack structure would actually enable them to to create an international distribution platform. So it's not only for the Nordics, because the LAC structure will actually support everything outside more or less the home market. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Rafael, do you see a shift uh, in perception over the years when it comes to Luxembourg? And if so, what are the drivers uh, for you? It's, it's, it's a good question, Arno, and, and, and again, delighted to be with you, with you all today. Um, it's, I would say, if we think of the drivers, the the big shift, I think, will have been AFMD, which was a bit of, of an earthquake in the in the asset class back in sort of 2013, and the fact that that Luxembourg implemented very quickly the regulation and made it user friendly very quickly, I think, was a big driver. Uh, the fact that the structure was flexible enough to support all strategies in all geographies, um, and that became the case very quickly. And, and then, again, going back to what Francis mentioned, the history was was very helpful, and, and the rate also sort of develops that that idea. Um, I, I would say also the fact that there was no local investment market in, in Luxembourg has, has been interestingly um, playing, playing a big part because effectively all of the other structures until AFMD appeared and, and then probably 
even uh, became even more the case afterwards, were very much tailored to the local investment markets. But in Luxembourg, effectively, there's, uh, the market is agnostic when it comes to geographies, when it comes to, to structures. So it's, uh, it, it's probably played, played a big part. And then I would say the, the ultimate driver was, was Brexit because it's, it's really shifted most structures away from, from offshore uh, Guernsey Trade vehicles more and more towards Luxembourg. So I've gone through a few acronyms, but, but I think all of these were, were big key drivers in, in the perennity of Lux as, as a structure for sure. Thanks, Raphael. And 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 Frederick, um, you 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 mentioned that GPs were quite uh, familiar with Luxembourg uh, nowadays, and uh, I think you you mentioned US GPs, meaning I mean essentially globally. I mean those guys really lead the path uh, in this industry. Um, what about uh, LPs and what about uh, Nordic LPs? There are a number of uh, very large uh, institutional investors in the Nordics. Uh, do they like Luxembourg? Do they know Luxembourg? How do they feel about it? I should say that they, they like Luxembourg because they know what, what they get, more or less. If it's a Lux, it's a Lux. <laughs> uh, so they are very comfortable with that. They, it has been uh, historically that you, you could have buy into whatever you liked, more or less. Uh, but today it's more restricted. Even in the investment guidance from the big ones, they are having like, you need to buy a Lux. Uh, because that will lease up everything. The paperwork, uh, everything is much easier if you do a lax structure. So uh, a CIO would prefer to do a lax uh, if if that is uh, available instead of going into another structure. I would say. Okay. Uh, okay so when you say when, when you say sorry, uh, they know what they get. I, I hope you're referring to a kind of gold standard of the fund structuring rather exactly than. What uh, I <laughs> okay. Okay. That. <laughs> okay. Good. 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 And um, coming back, to, um, I mean, your, your fundraising globally or Alice Europe for your for your clients. Uh, how does Luxembourg positions on the map from a fundraising uh, perspective? I mean, are you looking at Luxembourg as a potential source for investors, or uh, is it still, uh, um, well, I would say, early stage potentially? It's, it's a good question. The uh... Interestingly, the number one investor in the world uh, in terms of being the most active, the European Investment Fund, is based in Luxembourg. So it's created a sort of template for European funds, definitely, because they're, they're, they're forward-thinking, they're very proactive, very influential when it comes to LP investment boards. So, um, so by virtue of that, you have, you'll have a lot of European funds tailored and structured around, around Luxembourg because, they, because really they, they want to be attractive to, to the European Investment Fund. And it's a, and it's very much a reciprocal relationship, and it it, it's, it really creates a virtuous set, virtuous cycle across the board when it comes to all sorts of standards, reporting, um, transparency, and, and and the way that these funds are structured. Um, when it comes to the local market, I think it, it's the the local investor market. I mean, um, it's it's still sort of work in progress, but we're seeing we're seeing more and more investors uh, locally based in in, in Luxembourg. Um, it's uh, it's by virtue of, of structuring as well because it's a, it's a more transparent market. So even even if it's not necessarily the underlying investors, a lot of their vehicles will be structured out of, out of Luxembourg in order to to avoid all the pitfalls that you may find in other geographies. Okay, okay, okay. Thanks. And 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 you you mentioned presence Luxembourg. Francis is in, in, in his presentation focused essentially on the uh, on the uh, fund structuring part. Uh, of course, nowadays with IFMD, I mean you, you're looking at the fund structuring, you're also looking at the 
manager, I would say, platform or setup. Um, Frederick, for Nordic investors and managers, um, how do you see them uh, when they use Luxembourg for fund structuring purposes? How do you see them operating? I mean, does it require, uh, or in practice, do they establish presence in Luxembourg? Do they operate from their home country? What, what trend do you see from this perspective? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question, and we we get that question quite often. Or we we or many times we end up in that discussion with the fund companies we with the managers we work with, because they need uh, advice in in that question. And I should say that. It's it's a, many questions. It's like time to market. Do do I really need to be on top of everything, or can I allow myself to outsource or get help from uh, uh, someone else, a third party provider? Now I would say that many of the the managers we are talking with right now, uh, nevertheless, if it's a local one or if it's a global one, they are uh, very interested to hear how they can actually outsource some of the work to uh, third-party providers in Luxembourg. And I should say time to market is very, very important for them. And I know, Francis, you mentioned the RIFE. The RIFE is a, a really quick uh, uh, solution on going to time to market. I spoke with one of the larger banks here in the Nordics a, few, a while ago. They had a time to market uh, over a year if they should do it themselves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was probably a, a game changer from this perspective. I mean, rife and unregulated structures indeed. Absolutely. Um, th thanks, thanks. Um, um, uh, Rafael, I mean, you, you, you finger pointed some very nice uh, elements and, uh, and advantages of uh, Luxembourg uh, and very positive uh, perception. Investors might have of it. Uh, what about the, the bad things? What, what is potentially still to be improved in in Luxembourg and Luxembourg likes and has been historically ahead of the curve when it comes to solutions uh, for the uh, financial industry in general. Um, there are a number of topics right now, ESG being one of them. How, how, what could Luxembourg do uh, a, a to improve, b to remain uh, ahead of the curve in such topics? Yeah, I think improvement applies to everyone in every single jurisdiction across the board, and, and you know we we all we all strive to improve. I think we do. So I think it's uh, you know without without being too focused on the negative side of things. I think um, I think what's important is is the political stability uh, in, in Luxembourg and, and the dependence or, or the the strategic importance of of, uh, of private equity and, and an alternative, because in in today's world where where there's obviously a lot of very shifting. And very polarized um, political ideas. I think the fact that that Luxembourg has established itself as, as a jurisdiction that's home for the asset class for good, uh, I think I think is extremely important. I mean, it, it is a long a long term asset class at the end of the day. When you have a 10, 12 year vehicle, you don't want to be subject to changes and political changes every three, four years. So I think that that that's very important. And and from that standpoint, because it's a springboard, because there's more stability, you can you can now improve things from from that onward. So I think you mentioned ESG. Um, I think it's an improvement for for every single jurisdiction, for every single fund out there. It's 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 really the, not only the trend at the moment, really the important element that that every single every single GP is focusing on, because because it, it now has a shift on performance. It used to be seen, I think, as as a nice to have. It's now beyond a must have. It's uh it, it's really critical in, in the way 
GPs thing and the way they establish their structures um, because it's a core part of the strategy. So they, the fact that, that ESG is, uh, and, and, and it starts with governance, but then obviously all of the other elements, but the fact that ESG needs to be, needs to be fully ironed out and, and fully understood by, by, the, by the regulators and, um, and, and specifically the way these, these vehicles are structured. Uh, it is important, and I think I think it's evolving in the right direction when it comes to when it comes to Luxi. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's becoming more and more of a home for for these these type of ESG friendly vehicles. I would just like to add one one short thing there. Uh, looking at the ESG and impact investing, uh, many of the the global the global managers see the Nordic investors as front runners in this area. So. We all, we, we, that's the reason why I think we see an increased uh, activity from the international players now, since they have seen that the really big, sophisticated institutions in the Nordics do have a requirement to increase their portion into alternative investments, i.e. ESG investments, if you would like to be a, a good citizen and a, and a good company in, in, in the Nordics. Thanks. Thank you to Mr. With the SFDR entering into force coming quite quickly, I can tell you that uh, all hands are on the deck in Luxembourg to uh, to make sure that this goes smoothly for fund managers. Um, th th thanks to both of you. I, I like to, um, to 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 get into uh, other topics, more uh, finance uh, or financing uh, uh, driven, basically, and uh, especially. Um, practice or something that has been developing over the years and which is probably measuring today but uh, I'd like to get the views of our two specialists on the panel on, on this one um, which, which is around LP financing and uh, what we would call bridge financing. Um, Marcus, um, could, could you give us a view, uh, perhaps an overview of what you have seen recently in terms of uh, financing, but also in terms of uh, fundraising, since you are very close to the uh, LP part of things. Uh, what have you seen at RBC recently in this respect? Sure. Thanks, Arno. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I think to start with, um, in terms of the alternative private capital market, um, that's estimated at around $8 trillion in size. Within that, the fund financing market um, is sized at about 8 to 9% of that, so between 650 and 750 billion US dollars, uh, and that's on a global footprint. Uh, Europe currently makes up about 25 to 35% of that, um, and the remainder, the significant bulk of that being US drip sponsor manager driven. Of the fund finance market, I'd say certainly there's a dominance of subscription capital core facility product. Uh, which is bridging the LP commitments into the fund for a whole host of reasons. Um, but also what I am seeing is an increasing ask and need for NAV facilities, uh, but also capital call subscription lines slash NAV hybrids. Um, and the ask here is for the banks really to support or look to support the funds um, throughout the different life stages of those funds. Um, so, whereas a subscription capital core facility typically bridges the investment period, um, moving into the hybrid and the NAV, that's moving towards the back end of the life of the fund uh, to enable the manager to, to, to squeeze out a little bit more juice and, and continue the management of that liquidity um, needs for, for, for the fund. I think in terms of other products, um, we're certainly seeing a continued use and, and ask for redemption liquidity facilities. They're a typical ask for, of, of use its funds. Um, and they're, they're typically shorter dated, 
um, so 30 to 90 day um, drawing requirement um, to meet the bridging slash rebalancing requirements of um, users funds. Um, then of course there's asset leverage and we typically see those across PE buyout, real estate and infrastructure the most. Um, in terms of equity raising, um, I, uh, both pre-COVID, during COVID, and now hopefully moving towards the back end of COVID, um, there's been continued significant equity raising. But what I would say is it's arguably taken longer for managers to close those equity raisings. Um, as, and, 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 and attached to that, um, it's taken a little bit longer to implement the facilities and get those in place. Um, I think what this has led to is a tranching of the facilities and the use of the according in increase um, um, ask within, within the structuring, just so that we can tie, well, the managers can tie uh, the financing requirements to the actual size of the closings um, throughout, uh, up to final close. Um, in terms of certainly a trend, um, I would say there's most definitely a continued flight to size and perceived quality of manager. Um, 60% of capital raised uh, this year has been into funds that are two and a half to three billion plus in terms of capital raising. Uh, whereas if you look back two to three years ago, um, I would say that it was probably around 30 to 35%. Um, so certainly there's a trend um, for, for LPs to invest into the larger, um, I guess, more established, longer dated manager structures. Um, mm -hmm. This has led bigger facility asks. Uh, across the board, uh, and bigger asks of core relationship banks um, for, for, for the financing needs. And I think in terms of the domicile, just, just touching on that, um, there's most definitely been an increased trend towards including Luxembourg um, and, and where a main master fund may be domiciled out of Cayman or, or Delaware, um, certainly for the U.S. sponsors, um, there are, are, are in most transactions that we finance, there is most definitely a significant Luxembourg sleeve and, and, and the growth of the Luxembourg component. For European funds, I would say the Luxembourg component, the Luxembourg sleeves, is, is, is most definitely a, a dominant feature in those facilities. So I'll stop there. Um, happy to continue Thanks. talking. I can talk about finance all day, um, but I'm conscious of the time, so I'll hand it back. Let, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let's have a, let, let's leave some room also for uh, for, for Mathieu's view. Mathieu, uh, and, and thanks, Marcus, for this uh, for, for this overview of the global market. Um, very, very, uh, very insightful. Uh, Mathieu, uh, do, do you see also this uh, this trend, this growing trend, and this change, in, slight change in practice when it comes to uh, LP financing from a Luxembourg standpoint? Is it something we find back here in Luxembourg as well? Yes, 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 definitely. That is something that we have seen uh, developing uh, a lot. And I, I will even say booming uh, during the last years. Uh, and um, it was not very developed uh, before in uh, before in Luxembourg. And I think that it is also linked to the uh, development of the uh, SLPs, as mentioned uh, Francis uh, earlier, which is a very good instrument and uh, which attracted a number of uh, funds uh, to, to, to Luxembourg. And more generally, uh, the development of the alternative uh, world, uh, the alternative funds world, uh, came with the development of these uh, uh, subscription lines that we, uh, that we just mentioned. So, but it, it boomed during the last five years, keeping us uh, very busy on, uh, in this respect. And we see more and more funds uh, using this kind of financing. And we see even funds which did not use it for their first, second, third fund, but which 
for now, the, the funds that they have launched uh, are uh, using this type of uh, financing. So yes, definitely there is a, a very big trend in this respect. Okay, thanks. And, and, and do you see, the, from a technical point of view, do you see uh, the, uh, the, the, the guarantee or the credit risk uh, analysis approach changing, or have you seen it changing over the years, or uh, have we just imported, the, the, let's say, the global way or the U.S. or Anglo-Saxon way of doing things and transposing so I, I think that we have, uh, as, as, a, as a product, the financing itself uh, is, uh, is more or less uh, universal. It, it grew a lot in, uh, in the U.S. initially, then uh, developed in, uh, in U.K. and was imported in the uh, other countries, so including, uh, including Luxembourg. What we have seen, however, uh, during the last years as well is, as, as mentioned by Marcus earlier, uh, we started with a lot of subscription lines, so being uh, basically uh, um, financing being based on uh, Android commitments. And now we see a real uh, development of uh, asset financing, which is uh, more recent in, uh, in Luxembourg. So these NAV facilities or asset-backed facilities that uh, Marcus mentioned. And this is requiring also a bit more uh, structuring because in order to provide a subscription line, you do not, have, you do not need any specific structuring of your of your fund when you um, when you come to a nav facility uh, the idea of a nav facility is that the facility is based on the uh, underlying cash flows and distribution and, and distributions which are due to the uh, to the lps and in such case you need to structure a little bit more your fund notably in order to isolate uh, the assets which will be financed through this uh, NAV facility into a specific vehicle. Usually you use an SPV for that. Eventually, uh, for a debt fund, you will use uh, a securitization entity in order to do so. But so with, with uh, different types of financing developing, we have seen also different types of structuring developing uh, around that. Okay. Thanks. Thanks much. Luke. And, and, and um, Marcus, perhaps on the bridge financing facility, I mean, there, there has been some controversy from a certain number of very large investors. Some like it, some don't like it. Uh, what, what, I mean, uh, what, what's the overall situation today on the topic? Uh, is there a pushback from the LPs or, or in contrary, uh, on the contrary, is there a growing appetite from the LP side? Yeah, I think, um, I think in terms of what, what we we've actually seen is that um, there has been undoubtedly um, increased scrutiny by LP investors uh, into the use of facilities. Uh, we don't see these facilities as leverage. Uh, we see them as short-term bridging financing. It's really around the purpose and the use of these lines. So if you go back to the original origin of the, um, the subscription capital call facility, it was to assist, um, I guess, the timing um, and the bridging of the calling of that capital as we've moved forward over the last, I believe, five to ten years, um, the facility tenors have moved out and widened. Um, the actual length of drawings, individual drawings, has extended. Um, so, so there is an argument that they are being used not just for the bridging of the calling of the capital, but also for, for potential improvements and an uptick in the IRR of the fund. Um, so there's, there's merits in bulking calls to, to the investors. Uh, but there's also merits in terms of assisting um, the IRR of the funds. I think certainly over the last year, year and a half, there has been increased scrutiny from LPs just to understand um, what these facilities are being used for, why they are being used, but also to see, um, I guess, what the real performance um, comparables are 
um, as to where they put their capital, why would you go with, say, a Blackstone or why would you go with an EQT? Um, so it's really trying to find what is a real comparable in, in terms of fund performance. Is it financing driven um, or is it actual performance of the fund? So, so I, I would say certainly over the last year, year and a half, there has been increased scrutiny. I think you time that in with, with, with COVID. Um, what we've seen is a compression in facility term of these facilities. We've seen a compression and a reduction in the length of time the drawings are out for. And, and I think there's a happy balance um, in, in the middle of this in terms of driving greater returns for the, um, for the ultimately the um, LP investors, um, but also ensuring that these facilities aren't long-dated leverage. Thanks, thanks, thanks Marcus. So if I get you right, sure. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add one point in, uh, in this respect. I think that also uh, this is coming with a, with a market which is a lot more mature than, uh, than before. And so this challenge of the, of the LPs also contributed to the, uh, to the maturity of the, uh, of, of the market. Uh, I, I feel like the, uh, the situation is more appeased than, uh, than it was maybe 18 months ago, as, as Marcus mentioned, and uh, that uh, still uh, the ELPs see also the benefit of, this, uh, of such facilities when used responsibly by the, uh, by, by the fund managers uh, in order to provide short-term liquidity. Uh, and uh, notably ensure predictable capital calls. So uh, discussion and uh, maybe transparency uh, is also a key uh, in this respect between the different players. I think it most definitely comes down to, I would say it most definitely comes down to, I guess, the preferences of a specific manager and, and the strategy that they have for the fund. And also, importantly, the relationship that they have with their core investors and, and what the appetite and the risk threshold are is for, for, for those investors in the fund. Thanks. Thanks. And, and, and mature, you, you, you were mentioning maturity of the market. What about the maturity of the players in the Lux market specifically? Have you seen an evolution from this perspective? Uh, yeah, we have seen a continuous increase with the development of the market. Of course, a continuous uh, increase of players active in this uh, lending field. Uh, notably uh, on, the, on, yeah, on, the, on the lending side, uh, initially we had a uh, few banks active in this, uh, in, this, in this field and we see uh, now a lot of them uh, having uh, developed, uh, new banks having developed dedicated uh, funds finance uh, departments. Uh, we, even see, um, we even see a few non-banks uh, or not, not a few, we see non-banks also active in this, uh, in this market, notably some funds themselves do lend to some, uh, do lend to some other funds. So yes, uh, the number of uh, players has, has developed uh, a lot. Uh, it must be said, however, that COVID is changing also a bit things. We see a number of players uh, leaving the market in order to concentrate to their core business, uh, and as it has become more competitive, uh, and, and some maybe did not succeed, <coughs> Uh, year, but definitely the number of players has uh, dramatically increased uh, over the over the last years. Yes. Okay, thanks, 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 thanks. Marcus, um, without being biased, because this is your uh, your core business, uh, do, you, do you share the views of my two on the evolution of the market uh, in Luxembourg? Yeah, totally, hundred percent. I think um, what it would add on 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 players when when. The RBC platform was set up for fund financing. There's arguably about 10 players, 10 competitors in the financing space for us. Um, fast forward five or six years, um, that's grown to 40, 50 players. Um, I think COVID has most definitely um, rattled the box and, and sifted out some of the 
what I call the Johnny Come Latelys to the sector. Um, the, the sort of the fly-by-night, they're here and they're gone pretty quickly. Um, but I think a number of the established play, players have, have, have pulled up drawbridge. Um, that's not to say they've exited, it's just they're taking stock because of the market. And it goes back to my original point that because of the environment we're in now, um, there has been a trend towards um, larger asks and, and reliance on core relationship. And I think as the funds have grown bigger and the facility asks have grown bigger, the ticket sizes arguably for those core relationship banks, the asks are increasingly bigger. Um, so that, that's, okay. that's proven challenging. Um, but I would say from a Luxembourg perspective, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with the comments from Matthew. Okay, and uh, perhaps as um, the, the, the timer is running, um, one last uh, thing that I would like to quickly cover with you. Um, we, uh, we, we've seen a number of new type of financing, especially uh, Luxembourg is quite active in the wealth management uh, world, uh, basically with a lot of uh, private banks, wealth managers, family offices. Um, ha have you seen uh, new practices when it comes to um, pledging or using uh, alternative funds as uh, or interest or shares as collateral guarantee for financing by banks, financing of uh, high net worth individuals, private clients, basically. Is it something you have uh, seen, both of you, or uh, and or you're doing, Mathieu, perhaps, to start with? Uh, yes, that is something which is uh, which is developing, uh, which is developing for sure. Uh, I would say definitely not at the same path than what we just discussed before, which is a very big market. This one is more a niche one, uh, and uh, it is something which is uh, for Luxembourg was uh, new as well. So with maybe not uh, um, a trend which is totally established or market practice which is totally established and with some questions around also notably transferability of the, uh, of, of the assets and those questions that are being raised around, uh, around that. So yes, that is definitely something that we see, uh, but uh, so far, at least, it is not something which is, uh, let's say, totally mainstream, I would say. Okay, okay, okay. Mar Marcus, do you provide this type of financing? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with the comments from Matthew. Uh, we see high net worths in all of our structures anyway. Uh, they tend to be a very small part of of the LP base. Um, from a credit risk perspective, we, um, we usually discount the value of their commitments within the structures. So we tend to look at purely the institutional component uh, for the funds. Do we provide financing to high net worth structures? Um, very rarely. It's, it's not a um, specific um, credit risk appetite of ours. Have we? Yes, we have. Uh, it really comes down to the, the sponsor manager. Uh, the quality, the, the, the wider relationship we have them uh, with them as a firm. Um, but also, um, I guess their, their high net worth, if it's coming through a, um, let's say, a bank high net worth um, feeder structure, then, then it's satisfaction of the underwriting criteria and the investment criteria of that bank's investment, um, high net worth investment platform. And if we can get comfortable with their underwriting and their, their high net worth management, then and we will look at those high net worth structures, but but I would say from an RBC perspective, it isn't a preference, and um, uh, yeah, it, it's few and far between if, if if we look to support those structures. Okay, many thanks, many thanks to both of you. Thanks to um, all, all the four panelists uh, for this uh, for, for your very um, uh, interesting insights. Um, the, the, the clock is ticking, so I, I like to close this discussion. Um, however, take 
questions uh, on those topics from the audience, if there are any such uh, questions. I think we have received in the meantime uh, a couple of questions which I will be directing um, um, to Francis, but uh, if anybody else wants to step into it, uh, please feel free. Francis, my first question would be around the LT. If, uh, there seems to be a, a growing appetite for the LTIF, so the European Long-Term Investment Fund uh, structure, uh, EU label type of uh, structure. Um, what, what's your view on that? Uh, it hasn't been very successful so far. What's your view on that, especially for potentially Nordic investors? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's correct that we see a, a growing interest uh, for, for, for LTIF. Um, but when I say growing, so it's not about the uh, it's not the same numbers that then we see as uh, for, for as the the SLP or uh, or the RIF that, that we saw. So the, the the numbers are much more modest. Uh, but um, let's say maybe the uh, the, the growth rate uh, would be uh, comparable because we are starting from very small numbers, and then of course uh, uh, it's easy to to have a substantial growth. Yeah, I would say. Uh, well, when was it? Like until um, uh, two years ago, I think in total there were like uh, two altives in uh, in in Europe uh, overall. Uh, now I don't have the exact numbers, but probably we are around 30 something like that. Um, we have also seen a growing interest for altives in, in Luxembourg and uh, and in our firm in particular. Um, I would say that. That initially the, the first thought would have been yeah, the, the interesting part is yeah, to be able to combine um, alternative investments with potential retail investors. Uh, however, there um, one has been seeing from the from the market or the response that it's actually still very difficult uh, to to offer these uh, alternatives to uh, to retail investors and. Um, uh, and yeah, so there are some conditions which are maybe not always that easy to to meet. So that, and if I compare it to the to the toolbox that we mentioned earlier on, so these would then typically, if you want to go, to really go to the retail investors, they would be subject to to part two. They would be part two fund in Luxembourg, and in reality, um, many of the of the of the projects are, are not set up as part two funds, but it can be RIVE or SIF, for example, so that um, the initiators are not really targeting any type of retail investors, so, but more sophisticated ones. Mm -hmm. And I would say that from this um, potential initial in interest, what we have seen more is that the ALTIF is also being used for in the credit space, uh, in particular, given that, that some in, in, in some countries, um, the borrowers will not be able to take loans from non-banking actors. However, given that the loans are expressly also foreseen in the LTIF regulation, uh, that must then also be necessarily accepted in, in those countries. So that is something mm -hmm. that, that we have seen, for example, for investments into um, into. Uh, in, into Italy, for example, or to some other maybe southern European uh, countries, there we have seen uh, quite some substantial interest for ALTIF. Um, and I would say yeah, the ALTIF, the requests are coming from, let's say, various 
angles in in Europe, I would now not be able to comment on any specific trend in the Nordics, but let's say generally speaking, we do see um, an in increased interest for Altis. And just to, to close on that, as you may know, that there is also an Altis review uh, ongoing. And then hopefully, uh, it's again the question, let's not uh, fix what is not broken. But on the other hand, that there may be some aspects which could be improved to make this tool uh, even more interesting. Okay, very much. Thanks, Thanks Francis. Francis. Um, we, we, we got a second question about, uh, uh, it's always a trick, about the, the position even of Luxembourg uh, versus uh, Ireland and the attractiveness of Luxembourg versus Ireland. Uh, Frédéric, for, from a uh, Nordic perspective, uh, what, what, what's your point of view? And perhaps very quickly, because we, have, uh, uh, we just have a few minutes left. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the, the quick answer is that uh, I think the, the trend we see from or the, the feedback we get from the Nordic uh, managers is that Luxembourg, they prefer Lux instead of Ireland. I, have, I, I think it's a longer discussion to, to talk in more deep. I don't know, Francis, if you have more, more a, quick, a quick answer on that one, but I, I say they prefer Lux instead of Ireland. Yeah, and Francis, perhaps, is there, in your view, a technical reason or a couple of technical reasons where uh, Luxembourg could be preferable uh, compared to Ireland? Uh, it's, it's difficult to say, and uh, obviously I'm also a little bit biased, but, um, um, Slightly. but yeah, I, I think that um, I, I would believe that there is not uh, one very big technical aspect where we would say um, this is very different uh, in uh, in Luxembourg versus Ireland. So there are probably there are of course many small differences, but uh, I would not say one big difference. And I would say that probably it's it's also then very often how would I say the the psychological aspects or maybe the marketing aspects. Uh, it's it's the question well what does the market do or what the, what do other investors do? Um, and if you know that then other Nordics have in the past come the, the road to, to Luxembourg, uh, then maybe if you are to decide within your organization where to set up the fund and you can compare with your peers and you can say, well, these have been using Luxembourg, then it's probably also more easy for you to, to defend that position. If you are to, to make the choice to say, well, then let's, Luxembourg seems to work, uh, let's use Luxembourg as well. So I think there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a soft factor, but I think it's a very important factor uh, to to be able to compare you to, to the peers, and they very often have preferred Luxembourg. Thanks. Thanks, Francis. Uh, we have a last question, and uh, I, I will take it quickly, um, which is around the critical mass of assets to uh, to launch a uh, an LTIF for it to be uh, uh, economically viable. Um, every time I, I, we get this answer, the, the, this question, sorry, the answer is uh, there is no such thing as a critical mass of asset, uh, but it's a matter of uh, running simulations uh, around uh, your uh, launch costs, your operating costs, your service providers in the environment, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it would very much be on a case-by-case -case basis. Francis, I don't know if you would agree, but uh, from my perspective, something as threshold is always extremely tricky. Uh, Yes, yeah, I, I would agree, and, and maybe just to add that 
uh, and you, you don't necessarily need to set up the entire umbrella as an additive. So one can also set up a number and as an additive subfund on an existing structure. So that that would potentially then also already help to to reduce the, the overall cost if the assets are, are perhaps more limited. Uh, but yeah, otherwise I t- totally agree with you, Arno. Well, we are go- we are getting to the top of the hour. Uh, I think we promised that we would uh, keep your attention for for an hour only. So I hope that uh, you found this uh, session useful. Uh, for sure, nearly for sure, we will find you back uh, in one year time for our N plus one uh, edition of this uh, Nordics um, uh, conference. Hopefully, physically next year. If you have any questions, you've got all the details of uh, the participants, the, the panelists, sorry, to uh, this morning. Thanks a lot for your attention. Thanks, Francis, uh, Mathieu, Marcus, Raphael, and Frédéric for your insights. Thanks for your time, and uh, good day to everybody. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this webinar. We hope you found it interesting. Should you need more information about our investment management expertise, we invite you to visit our website www.arent.com. Besides, you can download our new app Arent Insights to keep Arent's expertise right at your fingertips around the clock.